0: Hello and welcome to this download from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is Jeremy Taylor. The title of his new book, Not a Chimp, gives a clue as to what he has in his sights. Those who argue, and the group includes many eminent philosophers and primatologists, that the tiny difference between human and chimpanzee DNA means that they are our extremely close cousins in all important respects. But, Taylor argues in this book, much too much has been made of this degree of similarity. The idea that we are
1: different from chimpanzees by as little as 1.6 and possibly even less in terms of our DNA is largely a fault of history. And it started really as much as 20 or more years ago when scientists started to compare they couldn't compare in those days the DNA of chimps and humans or anything else because the technology wasn't available but you could could compare proteins which of course derived from DNA and eventually they managed to be able to sequence very small areas of DNA inside genes and sort of just a few thousand uh, nucleotide bases of DNA and from those very early surveys they concluded that the sequence difference between chimpanzees and humans was very very small indeed. More recently several larger surveys of the genome have apparently backed that up when they've been able to compare much larger stretches of DNA sequence and again this magic number 1.6 percent crops up. But I believe that too much emphasis has been placed on it There's a conundrum here. If we are virtually genetically identical, then we should appear to be in terms of our morphology um, and our anatomy and our physiology and metabolism, very, very, very similar to chimpanzees. And we should be, in terms of our behavior and cognition, very, very similar to chimpanzees. Some people think we are, but actually, in fact, when you look at it, there isn't one single bone in a human that's similar to that in a chimpanzee, and any decent anatomist can tell the two apart instantly. And those sorts of differences go into things like language, and uh, higher order mental functions and all the rest of it we are very very different animals so you've got a, a a real conundrum here if we are genetically very similar how is it that we actually have turned out to be really quite different in terms of two animal species
0: What do you think is at stake here? Because clearly throughout most of human history, we've thought of ourselves as very, very different from chimpanzees and the animal kingdom, you know, in in terms of um, our history, this this comparison is, you know, a blink of an eye. So what do you think is what do you think is at stake if we are indeed, as you believe, overemphasizing the similarities?
1: History in all areas goes in cycles and you're quite right. I mean there was a time when it was completely proper to think of humans as Cognitively unique animals in the animal kingdom with a huge gulf in these parameters if you like between us and the rest of the primates and lower vertebrates and so on over the last 20 years. It's almost become a dirty word to describe humans as cognitively unique, possibly because it's appeared to produce in some people's eyes a false dichotomy between us. In other words, we're not really part of the animal kingdom, we're not animals, and the rest of them are. And biologists have wanted to to correct this plinth, if you like, on which we've put humanity. But I think what is happening now is that the fashion in science is changing again and people are beginning to understand that there are indeed these enormous yawning gulfs between us and chimpanzees. The danger of overemphasizing the similarity between us and chimpanzees, to my mind, not only represents an abuse of what the science is beginning to tell us, if only one would listen to it and try to understand it, but the danger is that we use this idea of almost complete similarity to push us into thinking that perhaps the difference between humans and chimpanzees is so little that actually they should be included in the same genus as us, homo and as a, a logical extension of that they should be accorded human rights the better to save them, because what's muddied the waters in the last sort of few years has been the, the, the growing realisation that just as chimpanzees are proving invaluable to us in our search to find what makes us human, they're dying out all over the place because, of course, we humans are uh, eroding their habitat and killing them off for bushmeat and all the rest of it. So they are disappearing as fast as they are becoming useful. And I think a number of scientists and a number of philosophers, for instance the Great Ape Project, have decided that one of the best weapons to mobilise our empathy for chimpanzees is to try and get us to understand that they are virtually identical to us. And if they are virtually human beings, then perhaps we should accord them human rights and we should use that vehicle as a means to save them and to conserve them now I think that that's not only an abuse of science but I think it's just simply basically wrong you don't have to identify with marshland plants or the white rhinoceros or any one of nature's endangered species in order to feel that actually it is morally reprehensible to drive this planet virtually to extinction to drive species diversity down so, why should we make a special case of chimps?
0: For me, one of the most fascinating things in the book was when you broadened your field of vision beyond primates and humans to look at other species such as dogs and wolves and birds and look at what, they, what, what we can work out about their intelligence and their cognition.
1: In the book, I mention one particular example of what I consider to be a really egregious folly. Uh, in in reasoning. It happened to be to come up in a conversation with a primatologist called Franz Duval, but basically his argument ran something like this. Chimpanzees and humans are 98.5% or more similar in their genes. Ergo, it is perfectly logical to argue that they must be 98.5% similar in their behaviour and their cognition. In other words, if you like, if in the old fashioned idea of a scala natura or ladder of the animal kingdom, chimps are huffing up very close to our heels on this ladder, and the other species are down below or haven't even hopped on the rungs of the ladder at all. if you broaden the number of species that you start to compare against each other over a wide range of sort of cognitive tests or tasks, if you like, you begin to realise just how much of a folly or a false picture this really is. So for instance, if you take work with dogs You find that on a number of tasks, for instance, where the dog has to watch a human giving cues either by pointing or by turning his head or by gesturing towards or even by putting ambiguous cues like a marker in front of a a cup that has food underneath it. Dogs are tremendously fast at accepting those human cues and unerringly uh, selecting the right cup with the food inside it. Chimpanzees can't do it. When you look at, um, at experiments with birds on a whole variety of, of tool-using tasks or cognitive tests to see how much they understand about the nature of tools, you find that they are every bit the equal of chimpanzees, possibly better. Over a whole load of these tests. And yet, birds I mean, we actually use the term bird brain to suggest a witless idiot. Oh. Uh, and yet, here they are outperforming chimps over a battery of cognitive tests to do with tool use and the manipulation of tools to get food and so forth. So, the wider you cast your net, you realise that actually cognition is not a function, strictly speaking, of how close taxonomically a species is to us. Yeah. Cognition is what cognition has to do. If there's a job to be done in the environment, evolution will forge a way to do it by forging some form of a cognitive module in the, in the mind of an animal species to do the job. This is, if you like, a kind of um, functional analogy to how we humans appear to do it. It may mean that the actual circuitry they use, the parts of the brain that they use, may be entirely different, but on the surface, they appear to be able to to, to do what we do in a variety of ways, not across the cognitive board, but in specialised areas. And when you actually begin to realise just how adept crows, for instance, are at using tools and manipulating tools to get food, or dogs are in accepting human cues and engaging human attention to get their help, you find that the idea that chimpanzees must be Better than all these species because they're closer to us taxonomically just completely evaporates and we begin to see cognition in a different way
0: So if cognition could notionally be plotted on a spectrum on which you would find birds and canines and and primates Are you nonetheless of the opinion that there is a difference of kind as well as a difference of degree between us and Whichever species might come close to us?
1: the idea that humans are cognitively unique has taken a battering over the years because most comparative cognitive psychologists have been straining at the leash to try and show that there's almost an uninterrupted continuum, if you like, along um, various aspects of cognition between us and other animal species. But I don't think that that's correct, and I think the idea of human cognitive uniqueness is now actually starting to reassert itself. There are a whole number of areas in which the human mind works that you see no evidence for it working in other animal species. The most obvious thing is human language. Uh, despite all the hoo-ha over ape language experiments over the years, they cannot come anything near to uh, the, uh, the structure and widespread use of language that we humans have evolved. We also make huge uh, use of recursion, the idea of being able to to think about things, acting upon things, acting upon things, acting upon things, in order to explain the world. Other animals do not appear to be able to use recursion. We also generalise, we can put information from various contexts together in fresh contexts in order to arrive at an explanation for what's happening in the physical world. So we we can generalise in that way. Other animals simply cannot reach these heights. So there are a whole number of things. One um, uh, one very prominent cognitive psychologist called Mark Hauser has pulled all these aspects into what he calls the human uniqueness hum, okay. hypothesis. And I think it's a very, very good line because it is quite clear that the gulf is very large. Hauser actually puts it much more graphically than I can when he says that the cognitive gulf, we have something to really explain here because he believes that the cognitive gulf between us and the rest of the great apes is greater than the cognitive gulf between them and earthworms.
0: Let me ask you, a final, finally, Jeremy, 20 years from now, how do you think we might be looking at uh, this question and our attitude to the great apes?
1: I think it may take another 20 years for the fruits of all this genomics work. What's happening at the moment I think is very exciting. It's only been four years since the chimpanzee genome was actually rolled out in sufficient detail to allow these very significant comparisons between humans and chimpanzees and other species. It's only over the last two or three years that a group of, I think, extraordinary scientists have begun taking genomics, neuroscience, the structure and function of brains, and cognition, how brains work to produce mental activity and behaviour, and begun to try and really forge links and understanding between these three different levels of looking at organisms. In other words, rolling genomics, neuroscience, and cognition into a really profound understanding of how how evolution works. And I think that is going to be something that will take time, but I think in 20 years time, we will have made huge strides in understanding the interaction between changes in our genome, particularly in the brain, the minute structure and function of our brains and how that gives rise to different cognition.